Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. You know, there are many times throughout my life that I've found myself thinking about why something happened the way it did. And as I'm sure many of you have, I get that why me thought flashing across my mind. Well, rest assured, there's always a reason for everything that happens. And Karen Dean is joining us today. I'm thrilled to have her. She is a resilient expert, inspiring speaker, fierce leader, best-selling author, mentor, mom, survivor, advocate, and limit pusher. And I love every single one of the things that she is. She is here to show us and to talk to us about how we can choose how to respond to life's greatest challenges and reveal that resilience may actually be what this whole journey is all about. So welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you. So you don't become a resilience expert overnight. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the long and challenging path that you've been on that has allowed you to develop this expertise? Oh, yeah, sure can. Uh, (laughs) It's been actually a lifetime of becoming an expert in resilience. Yeah. And it started, and I'm sure my story relates to so many people who are listening, because I think a lot of us women have a lot of similarities in our journeys, but my story started as a kid and I felt like I didn't fit in and I got made fun of. And Mm -hmm. you were always too something. You were too skinny. You were, I had glasses. So, you know, I was four eyes. I had red hair. I, you know, Mm. you just learn. Never, never good enough factor. No. And you learn not to like yourself because of Mm. what other people say. So I grew up in that world as many of us do. And I listened to those voices and they led me to make some poor choices in my life, which also led me to the experience that has made me a self-made resilience expert. So um, I was raped in university because I put myself in a position that I shouldn't have been in. And then uh, I married an abuser, had two children with him, stayed Mm. in that relationship for 10 years because I was too scared to leave. And I like to say that often we stay in not necessarily our comfort zone, but our familiar zone because it definitely wasn't comfortable, but it was familiar. It's what I knew. Yeah. Um, My second child with that abusive husband almost died as a baby. And I was told four days after that, that he had been born with a permanent brain injury and would probably never walk or talk. So we spent a lot of years, me and him, without any help from my husband at the time, um, trying to prove those doctors wrong. And we did. He, uh, I got him all the help I could get. This is where the advocate comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got him all the help that I could find, all the medical professionals who could do anything to help him. Mm. And he went to school like everybody else without any help, without any adaptations. 
uh, just a normal little boy going to school. And I, he's not That's a teenager awesome. anymore. He's not a teenager anymore, but I always said he's as normal as teenage boys get. So if I anyone has teenage boys, you understand normal <laughs> is relative. Yeah. Um, so I finally, you know, developed the courage to leave that marriage, got into a di- another marriage right away, bounced right back, followed the same patterns, which we all do right. until we learn, which I've now <laughs> learned. Um, found out he also was an abuser, but not just me. He was abusing my kids. And that's where I draw the line on that Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, Very quickly became a single mom with no choice in the matter because I did what I was supposed to do and reported that abuse. Good for you. And shortly after that, uh, within months after that, the daughter who he was abusing uh, had her lung collapse at school one day. She was only 14 her lung collapsed at school one day. We were in the hospital for almost a week. She barely escaped needing surgery. A year after that, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at only 15. And then my son, the one who almost died uh, when he was 19 in July of 2020, was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of cancer. So I have, I'm very familiar with hospitals, advocating for my kids. And with advocating for myself now. Good. And um, through all of that, I tolerated a lot of toxic relationships within my family. And mm-hmm. in 2018, I finally said, enough is enough. It doesn't matter if you're my parents and my brothers, I can't live like this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I made the really difficult choice to remove my immediate family from my life. And that's a really tough thing for a lot of us to do. And it's a lot of, it's a tough thing for a lot of people to understand because we get the, that's your mother, that's your family. Like, how can you not? Blood is thicker than water, as they say, all of those things. Yeah. But uh, sometimes you have to make those choices because if it's not a healthy relationship, then you know, I wasn't being my best self. I was being held back by, because everything I tried to do wasn't good enough. And why would you do that? And who do you think you are? And, you know, all those voices weren't just in my head anymore. They were coming from my family. So sometimes we have to make those tough choices. And that sounds like that was the root of the pattern you followed after that in terms of abusive relationships. It was what you knew. It is. It's what I knew. And I mean, our family was not physically abusive, but definitely Mm -hmm. mentally abusive. And definitely you were never good enough, or I was never good enough. And I am the only girl in the family. And my brothers were very obviously favored over me. Wow. If you said, if you said that to my mother, she would deny it to this day. Right. That's how I felt. And I had to listen to how I felt eventually. And so they are no longer in my life. Um, My father, unfortunately, chose to side with my mother and my my dad and I always got along. But in 2019, after we stopped speaking, I found out that he wasn't even my biological father. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I I was 45 (laughs) years old and found out that the man who had raised me who was my hero, who I always got along with and looked up to was not even my real dad. And he had known this most of my life. Wow. So he knew. Okay. Yeah. And my biological father also knew. 
and lives uh, uh, like a minute and a half drive away from me. And I have to drive by his house every time I leave this community. I've known him my whole life. I've talked to him my whole life. He was at my first wedding. Wow. He's watched me grow up. There's a TV show coming someday. No kidding. There's like a yeah. whole movie TV show whole series because you're sitting here with me today with a big smile on your face <laughs> after surviving all of that. My goodness. Yeah. And, you know, that's where the good news comes in is even through all of that. And that's, you know, just the highlight reel. Yeah. Um, I have such an amazing life and yeah. I've always chosen to have an amazing life. And through it all, my goal was to help other people, to inspire other people and to be a great mom to my three kids. I had one daughter with my second husband. Mm-hmm. And so I've been completely solo parenting those kids for over 10 years now. Amazing. They're all really successful. They've all come through this hardship better than I could have ever imagined. And um, so uh, my first students of resilience were my kids. <laughs> how did you do that? How did you do that? Because you always hear kids are resilient, but when they go through things like abuse and, and illness to the level that they had, and how did you teach them resilience? It started, so when my son was a baby and he had a lot of developmental delays because of his brain injury. Yeah. And one day he was trying to walk. We went to physiotherapy every two weeks and they were pushing him, pushing his skills because he was about seven months below or past the normal age of walking. Okay. And he, he was, you know, able to say a few words and he started saying, can't, can't. And I used to say to him, there's no such thing as I can't, there's only, I don't want to. And that became my mantra to him for his whole preschool time. Right. He found something challenging. And that's what taught me a lot about resilience because I was like, I'm telling this two-year-old kid, there's no such thing as I can't. And I was limiting myself. So that's how it started with that kind of mindset, instilling it in my son Mm -hmm. and seeing the results that came from him. You know, he just blew the doctors away. The the top neurologist in Nova Scotia cannot understand how he's still able to do the things that he does. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's normal. He is normal as any of the rest of us are. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) So that's how it started. And then that lesson carried forward through everything else. And I think the biggest thing with my kids and the thing that a lot of us parents do is um, we tend to shelter our kids and we Mm -hmm. tend to not be real with them. And I was real with my kids age appropriately, Yeah. but I was always real with them. And I always said, this is what's happening but we are going to get through it. Yeah. We're going to be okay. Yeah. I love you. I will do whatever I can to look after you through this, but we can do this. And, you know, my daughter who was abused and then had her lung collapse and was diagnosed with MS at 15, Mm. all of that before she was even 15, she went on to graduate from high school with high honors and $30,000 in scholarships. And my goodness, moved out. She was still 17 when she moved out of my house because she's an October 1st baby. So she was young to graduate. 
And she has literally not asked me for a penny since she moved out of this house. She put herself through school. She bought her own car. She and her boyfriend bought a house uh, at the beginning of COVID. She has been completely independent and so successful in her job. She's just incredible. And I just say that's the value in being so real with your kids and empowering them with the strength to know that they can get through the hard things. And by sheltering our kids, we don't give them that strength. Right. You give them protection. And then when they don't have that, they have no idea what to do. Yeah. And uh, one thing I always like to say is we need to remember we are raising adults. We are not raising kids. (laughs) That's a great way to think about it, actually. Yeah, um, because they are going to go out in the world. And, you know, my goal was always to have independent children. And I joke sometimes that maybe I've done it a little too well because they're <laughs> super, super independent and don't need me at all, um, which is hard as a mom to watch yeah. them. But it's also you have so much pride. So in proud. How well, yeah. How well they do and, you know, that they can just do life successfully. Yes. Yeah. And, and know that, you know, the hard things, they will get through them. And, and they always know I'm still here for them whenever they do need me. So, so you, you've raised daughters and you mentioned earlier that, you know, you really felt the difference between how sons are raised and daughters are raised some, sometimes mm-hmm. um, in traditional families, I'll call it. How did you approach raising your your daughters and your son, actually, in terms of respecting women and all of those things? Well, first of all, I try to treat them equally as much as you possibly can. I mean, they are very different people. So, of course, there's differences in things they've done and, you know, their hobbies and things like that. But I've always tried to treat them the same. I find um, I've empowered my daughters to be strong, to speak up for themselves, but I've tried to empower my son to respect women. And how I do that a lot is when I see things, for instance, on social media, or you hear things on the news, I have real conversations um, with my children and with my son. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with that? What, what would you do in that situation if it's my girls or with my boy? I said, you know, you don't do, you don't follow women down the street. You just, when right. they say no, <laughs> it means no. Walk um, away. Yeah. Yeah. Like you hear all of these stories of these young men who are doing really horrible things to young women. Yeah. And I've used them as teaching moments. And I've said, this happened. This is a boy that's your age. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what we don't do. Right. And uh, the other thing is a, a big lesson for me. My older brother was a drug addict when we were teenagers, mm. like bad, yeah. like cocaine and right. ruined a lot of our family life. And I've told my kids from as young as I could make them understand that everything we do in life is about choices. We're always making a choice. Right. So I told them always, if you choose to do drugs, which it's your choice, even with peer pressure, even with whatever, you are making that choice because you know you can stand up for yourself. So right. if you choose to do drugs, you are choosing not to live in my house. Mm. And, and I said, and you are choosing to give up 
all of the privileges, all of the luxuries of living in my house. And I've told that to them from a... Because you make a choice and you deal with the consequence of said choice. Right. And I've right. and I've said it from a young age before they even knew what drugs were. I yeah. had that conversation with them mm-hmm. to prepare them because I think you need to empower them to to choose the right friends, yes. to choose the right people in school and to be able to look at those people and those kids that are, you know, going the wrong direction in school and go, wait, I'm not going to follow them. Right. And I really think we need to start that so young um, because they encounter so much at school that we as parents don't even want to think about, but it's there. I think society in general doesn't want to think about it, but it is very prevalent. And I think during the pandemic, more conversation is happening about it, a little bit more exposure of it, which has been really interesting, especially Mm -hmm. at a time when we're all locked down. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, but the importance of mental health has really come to the forefront, I think, in recent years, and people are getting more and more comfortable talking about it. And Mm -hmm. what you've given your kids is this incredible, like, obviously, the word is resilience, but a strength um, mentally and emotionally to be able to deal with what whatever life throws at you. Um, How did you develop that for yourself? A lot of our listeners will be going through difficult times and you have to make that choice and develop that on your own. How did, how did that happen for you? A lot of practice. And um, I still have bad days. Um, You're a human being. Yes. Right. But I do like to say, I should say I have bad days. I like to say I have bad minutes. I have bad hours, Mm. but I try to never have a bad day. And that's that's the thing that I had I had to learn, like, you can't let a situation, a person, an opinion of someone else ruin your whole day because you have so many good things in your life. And no matter how bad the situation is, there is something good there. Right. Um, For instance, I had two horrible marriages, but I got three amazing children. Um, Fantastic. I got a ton of life lessons from those marriages that I'm now using to help empower other people to live their best lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I could go on and on. There's just so many things that I learned and I became such a strong person from it. And I always like to say resilience is like a muscle, like any muscle in your body, the more you use it, the stronger you get. Yeah. So I remember when my oldest daughter was two years old and I knew my husband, well, my husband threatened to shoot me the day I told him I was pregnant with my first child. And continued to remind me of that marriage. Mm. Um, So I remember when she was two years old, holding her in my rocking chair, talking to my best friend on the phone, saying, I need to get out of this. And she's like, well, why don't you leave? And, you know, he had convinced me to be a stay at home mom and not go to work, uh, leave the job that I had. And I said, I don't have any income and, and I can't be a single mom. I can't do this on my own. I have no, like, I can't look after this little human on my own. Yeah. And she was, but he she wasn't was two, probably and I, even helping you at that point. No, you were doing he it wasn't on your own anyway, all. right? <laughs> yeah, I was. And, but I just couldn't see that at the time. And like I said, that was my one little girl who was two at the time. And now I've been solo parenting three kids 
yeah. for 10 years. And when I started as a completely solo parent, they were 14, 10 and three. Wow. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> and now they're 24, 21 and 14. Amazing. Amazing. You've so, been incredibly successful at it. So look at you now, right? Yeah. And look at my kids. I mean, I've always said success to me is raising good humans. Uh, yes. It doesn't matter how much financial success I have, how much business success I have. My uh, success rate is based on how good my kids are and they are amazing humans. So I consider that the most successful thing I could have done yeah. is to raise kind and caring and intelligent humans that go out and do good things in the world. And that's amazing. That's been my goal. And so far, so good. I've got one that's not an adult yet, but she's doing really good. <laughs> she actually wrote a children's book last year at the age of 13. So. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> wow. That, you know, I don't have to even say you should be incredibly proud because you just like exude, you know, the pride in your kids and rightfully so from everything that you've told us about them. Um, were they the reason that you were able to move out of that? Um, I think you called it familiar, familiar, familiarity versus yeah, comfort, which I, yeah, which I think is, you know, I, I was actually in an 11 year relationship previously as well. And it was that, it was just what I knew versus what I didn't know. And having the courage to move into that unknown space, something has to tip you. Was it your kids yeah. that did that for you? And It was my kids with the first marriage that mm -hmm. I just knew I had to get out. Um, yeah. And he reminded me the night before I left that he had threatened to shoot me if I ever tried to right. leave him. Yeah. But thankfully, he did not do that. Thanks, and, very thankfully, yes. <laughs> yeah, but like I said in the intro, I kind of followed the same pattern and got with somebody yeah. who was, you know, same abuse in a different body, mm -hmm. um, but actually worse. So um, I just followed the same pattern because I didn't take the time to figure out what part I played in that. Right. And uh, what really helped me. Uh, so when I became the single parent after the abuse of my daughter, it was kind of not by my own choice because yeah. I found out he had been doing this and I just was like, this is it. Game so over it at that point. Right? A very quick decision that I didn't think about at all. It was like done right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then uh, I hired a life coach probably about a year after that when I thought I just need to figure this out. Like I, I need to to help myself. And she actually asked me one day, what have you done to cause all these things to happen in your life? And I got really mad. I'm like, what do you mean? What have I done? Like these yeah. people abuse me. And I, I couldn't see at that time that it was because I had no self-respect. I had no self-esteem. I had no self-love that I was allowing people to treat me the way they did. And right. it wasn't that, um, it wasn't that I was doing anything wrong. I just was allowing them to be the people that they were to me. Mm -hmm. And it really hit me when she gave me this postcard, which I like to give people when I do workshops and, um, speeches, yeah. it has a few simple words on it. And she said, I want you to go home. I want you to look yourself in the mirror every single day and say these words to yourself. And the words are, 
I deeply and completely love myself. And I could not say those words to myself. And it took me probably two years. Wow. And through working with her, doing a lot of reading and self-development and personal development, I realized that I was part of the problem because I'd been listening to all those voices all these years. I've been believing what other people told me I was. Right. I was following the same patterns of letting people abuse me. And now I can look at, I'm not in a relationship now, but the reason I'm not is because I can see that from a mile away now. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Nope. Like, nope, <laughs> you are like the first time they disrespect me, the first time they call me a name, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, first sign, we are done. done. Yeah. Like, I'm like, red flag, nope, we are done now. I mean, there are like pink flags and then there are red flags. Like nobody's perfect. And I know I'll never find someone who is completely perfect. No, but I think we need to set our standards and you need to stick with them. And you need to like this life coach that I had, she made me make a list of what, uh, what the ideal man for me would be and not, you know, how tall and all that, but yeah. you know, characteristics of who they are, how they treat me. Mm-hmm. And I haven't found that guy yet. So uh, it's, it's, you, you have to really look inside yourself. And that, that's where resilience really comes in is looking inside yourself and finding out who you really are mm-hmm. and then making your choices based on that not on who other people tell you you are. With everything that was going on in your life, how did you find the time and space to do that self-reflection work? That's always the question, right? Like, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I'm too tired. I, you know, people don't know how to sit still and do that work. How did, how did that happen for you? Uh, I, I made myself. Um, okay. uh, it's a whole it's a no more excuses. I, I met a, a guy a while ago who was like, no excuses, only investment. And uh, he looks at it from a business point, but I look at it from personal, no excuses, investment in yourself. That's a good and one. You also, are worth yeah. it. And that's what, yeah, that's what I had to teach myself was I am worth it. Mm. And like my ex-husbands, both of them thought reading was stupid. And I used to read <laughs> like dear. a book a day <laughs> when I was a teenager. I know. And they're like, that's a waste of time. And, wow. and so um, I didn't read for so long. And now I read every day. And now uh-huh. I read a book. And um, it's about empowering yourself to do it. It's a lot of positive self-talk. It's a lot of I'm worth it. Uh-huh. Um, I... I have my goal when I built my new house nine years ago for me and my kids was to have an ensuite bathroom with a nice bathtub. So when I get in the bathtub, my kids know you do not disturb me unless you're done. Like you have to make sure the people that are surrounding you also respect those boundaries that you set for yourself Mm -hmm. and you teach people how to treat you. And that's what, I try to do with everyone in my life now is say, you know, uh, this is my time. 
I'm taking this hour to read. I'm taking this hour to have a bath, whatever it is. Yeah. It doesn't happen every day. Uh, reading I do do every day, but um, you know, the other kind of self-care things don't always happen every day, but I do make a conscious effort to do it. And, and we have to, it's yeah. not selfish. It's, it's, rejuvenating yeah yeah and it it, it's you need it it's a necessity to look after yourself Mm. we've heard the the saying for years you know you can't pour from an empty cup and it's true you can't even pour from a half full cup like you have to fill your own cup up first you have to look after yourself and then you will look after everybody else and it's it's come through in my kids you know they often will say something about how I used to be. And I said, I'm not that person anymore. Um, like my, my youngest daughter is 10 years younger than my oldest daughter. And right. the oldest one will often say, well, I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was her age. And I said, I was a very different mom when you were yeah. her age. And yeah. we, we were going through a, a, a very different life back then. Mm-hmm. So it's about adjusting and it's about becoming a new person every day, becoming a better person every day. I don't want to be better than anybody besides who I was yesterday. Right. And that's what I try to teach my kids as well is we're not better than anybody else. We never will be better. We're all equals, but you're all equal. Than yeah. We were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And if you're the only person anything, you compete with is yourself, nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. And be learning and growing all the time. We will never know all the things, you know, there's always something to learn. There's always somebody who has been through what we've been through and has learned something from it. So I try to absorb as much as I can from people who have been there and done that. And I always like to say, I don't like to be the smartest person in a room. I I never want to be the smartest person in a room. I want to learn from people. I want to hear their stories. I want to ask how they did it just like we are right now. And um, that's how we become better people. That's amazing. And you're such a great, and one of the words that we've used to describe you and that you describe yourself as as an advocate advocated for your son, you advocated for your daughter. Um, for a lot of you know young women in particular, I think who are going through sort of abusive situations and don't have that advocate um, readily available within their family or aren't believed, how do they find someone? You got to reach out for help, right? To get yourself, yeah. help pull yourself out of this. How do you find that great advocate and then become that for yourself? Well, there are, I was fortunate to be able to figure it out on my own, but there are a lot of um, great organizations who help like women's shelters and um, family resource centers, places like that. And sometimes it's just finding that one friend who you can trust to kind of hold your hand through it, even if they've never been through it. And I was very fortunate to have some great friends who would look after my kids for me so that I could go have a meeting with a lawyer or the RCMP or whoever. Um, So it's about finding that circle of people you can trust and, and asking for help. I am, I was the worst at asking for help. (laughs) I was totally the, I can do this. I don't need help. And I felt like I was a burden to people because for a while I really needed a lot. 
but they never saw me as that. And I've asked them since I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. I was such a burden. And they're like, no, never, like, ever. Not at all. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot about finding that inner strength to ask for help and to find that safe place where you can land. And I know there's some situations that um, are very dangerous. And yes. so it's very important to find the people who know the avenues to go to keep you safe. And uh, a lot of women's shelters, you know, no one even knows the address of them. So when yes. you're there, you're safe. Yes. And it's about finding those safe places. And um, there are a lot of them around. And I would encourage anybody to seek that help. Those are the people who know and who have the resources to get you out of the situation that you're in. Yeah. And it is so scary when you leave. And mm. it is. Yeah. But it is. And I went back, like everybody else, I went back to both of them. Even mm. the guy who abused my kid manipulated his way back into my life. Wow. And my kids' lives. Yeah. So we fall backwards. But yeah. then I got back out again. Um, yeah. So, you know, don't beat yourself up if you go back or if you make a bad choice again, just try to make a better choice the next time. And, and that it's, is, it's tough. That's the, um, the self-compassion that has to come with everything that we do. Like we are imperfect by definition as human beings. Um, so you're not always going to make the right choices and it's about, you know, what you do, what you do with that, um, the consequences of the choices you make. And it, it makes me think about, you know, those words that you had to learn how to tell yourself about deeply and completely loving yourself. Forgiveness comes with that, right? For sure. And that it's so important. I think it, the hardest person to forgive is ourselves for making, Mm -hmm. for making choices that, we look back on and go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Yeah. And um, we have to learn to forgive ourselves. And mm-hmm. it's powerful when you can. Yeah. And, you know, it, it really changes your life once you forgive yourself and you, you become a whole new person. And, you know, once you start making the good choices and then, you know, life just starts throwing good things at you. Mm-hmm. And, you just, you know, not everyone believes in manifesting and all these signs and symbols, but it, it actually works. Yeah, it does. And and like, I am living proof that, you know, when you focus on the good, you get more good. Mm. And that's how I've had to, to train my brain is to find the good in every situation. And then, you know, even my kids, like my son was diagnosed with cancer. It was the first time he ever went to the hospital by himself. And they oh. told him he had a tumor in his chest. That was, Oh cancer. my God. Yeah. They called me on the phone because of COVID restrictions. I couldn't go with him. To the oh hospital. yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Cause he's nine. he was 19. So considered an adult, even though he's, he's not an yeah. adult to me, he's still my mm-hmm. little boy. Of course. He um, is. Yeah. So he handled that like a complete champion. He, he was never scared. He, or he didn't show fear if he was, Uh, he, he just, he was like, okay, we're going to get this out of me and I'm going to go back to work. And that was his outlook through all of it. 
He did six rounds of chemotherapy and 25 rounds of radiation. Wow. And his only side effect through that, all of it, besides being tired and losing his hair, which were normal is he, he got sick to his stomach three times during chemotherapy, the day of chemotherapy, not at home and no side effects from radiation, which is unheard of. Like they they told me that unbelievable. Yeah. They told him to expect sore throat, uh, lung issues, burnt skin. I mean, I know people who have had 10 rounds of radiation and have had burnt blistered skin and yet he didn't even get red. And I thought like there, there's something to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the, saying, you know what, this isn't going to be me. And I remember um, when I first found out about his brain injury and the doctors told me what it's called, periventricular leukomalacia. And I went home and I Googled that and I, and he was eight weeks old. He wasn't doing anything at that time. Yeah. He was just a wee little baby. And I did a bunch of at home research, which you shouldn't do. And read all the horror stories of all these parents who had children with periventricular leukomalacia. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I Mm -hmm. thought I am going to have this completely dependent child forever. And then one day I just like three days later, I looked at him and I said out loud, that's not going to be my kid. And it's not. Wow. And that's, that was the switch that made me start looking for all the help that made me, um, you know, there wasn't an early intervention program in our area at the time, which are people who come to your home and work mm-hmm. with kids who have special needs. Sure. So I called the government and I said, why don't we have one of these programs? Yeah. And they said, well, it's on the budget for this year. We're looking at expanding around the province next year. And I said, no, we need it now. My right. son needs this. Let's yeah. make this happen. Yeah. And I did. I was the chair of the board for until <laughs> until he started school. Um, so it's about it's about that advocate thing. It's about yeah. pushing and pushing the limits and not being intimidated. And, you know, for anyone listening who has their own medical issues or children with medical issues, it's very easy to be intimidated by doctors. They oh, speak yes. in medical terminology. they're, you know, very intelligent. They've studied things most of us haven't studied. And some of them don't have the best bedside manner. Yeah. And it's important to stand up for yourself and to ask questions and to ask for them to explain it in terms that you can language you understand. Yeah. Whatever level of language you need, there is a way for them to explain it. And I actually switched one of our doctors because I asked him to explain one of the tests that my son had. And he started every sentence with this might be hard for you to understand, but okay. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, you start a sentence when you're talking to anybody, never mind. No. (laughs) And I said, you know, what? I can't do this. So um, I asked for a different doctor and she, the new doctor that I got was incredible and very supportive and made sure that I understood everything. Perfect. And, and I had a pediatrician tell me that feeding your child craft dinner was a form of child abuse. And I said, um, uh, not all of us. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, my kid loves craft dinner. And right. secondly, delicious. Um, <laughs> right. I'm like, not all of us have the budget 
right? to feed our kids something besides all organic, and, all the things. Yeah. yeah and I said, not- you know, I'm lucky enough to have enough, um, I don't know, knowledge to know that it's okay to feed my kid craft dinner and I will stand up for myself. But I said to her, I said, you know what? I know a lot of women who would have just went home I felt like the worst mother on the planet because you right. said that to them. And that's yeah. not fair. Yeah. It's not fair. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we need to listen to our own instincts sometimes and question what yeah. the so-called experts tell us. It's, a, not it's always a balance, right? It's a it balance is. of all the opinions, but I love what you're saying about at the end of the day, you have to take in all of that information and decide for yourself yeah. and your child or whoever you're advocating for, this is how it's going to be. Um, yeah. And another thing I would advise if it's someone who with a child with um, special needs, be in the room with them for everything. Mm. Um, I was asked to leave the room for physiotherapy once. And I said, no, I will never leave this room. We come here twice or twice a month, every, every two weeks. I said, yeah. we come here when I yeah. go home, I do these things with him. And that's why he progressed as well as he did, because I did the things at home that they were doing with them at at therapy. Why would they ask a parent to leave? Well, he, the first couple of times he was really upset because they were trying to make him do things that he wouldn't normally do. And it was strangers. And, uh, you know, I would be the mother and jump in there and go, come on, buddy, let's do it this way. Right. And may, maybe I was getting in their way. I don't know what their thought process was, but I'm like, I it wasn't happening. Regardless. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm yeah. here. I'm not going anywhere. I want to see what you're doing with my child. So of I course. can help him too. Yeah. Um, but a lot of parents did sit in the waiting room and it's unfortunate that, and I don't know why, if it was because of anything they were told or just their own choice, yeah. but um, it's important to be there hands-on in the middle of it yeah. and, and learning what you can do at home to help your child. And I think, you know, your kids watching you advocate so well for them taught them those skills just by observation. Yeah, and um, they do. I mean, kids learn so much just by watching. Yeah. Yeah. And just, so, you know, seeing how we handle ourselves as adults. Absolutely. And I loved what you said earlier about we're raising adults, not children. So Yeah, they're not going to be um, kids forever. <laughs> no, they're not. And, you know, they have to be fully formed and functioning adults that, like you say, do good in the world and put positivity out there. And that's that's really what, what we're all here to do, I think, at the end of the day. Um, yes. We've talked a lot about sort of different um, steps or stages of resilience and like going internally and understanding externally. What does that path actually look like in terms of resilience? Are there, is there a, a sequence that people should follow or is it your own sort of path to building up all the different skills that we've talked about? I think it's different for everybody, but I do kind of have some pointers that I always share that help. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that help us build resilience that we don't even think about. Okay. So uh, when we're faced with a hard situation, something that upsets us, um, something that we know is just, you know, has the potential to be really bad. The first thing we do is stop breathing. 
we just, we, we hold our breath. We go into panic mode. Yeah. You don't and even think, I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. We tense, we <laughs> yeah. tense up and we stop breathing. Yeah. And so the first, the easiest thing you can do to help build resilience is to breathe. Breathe. And okay. it sounds so simple, mm-hmm. but I've taught my kids and I try to do this myself. If someone says something that upsets you, whatever the situation is, yeah. take five really conscious breaths. I like to say breaths where you feel like you gained weight when you breathe in and you feel like you get skinnier when you breathe out, like nice, big breaths. Okay. And that actually engages your brain because your brain can't function without oxygen. Right. So you can approach a situation so much better if you allow your brain that five seconds to just work. It almost resets. It does. And it gives you a minute to not be so reactive. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people say about, you know, my ex-husband who assaulted my daughter, they're like, why didn't you kill him? And I'm like, well, A, I'd have been in jail. Right. And that's not helpful. No. um, And that was my moment to teach my kids how to do the right thing. Mm. And, And I remember standing there looking at him taking deep breaths before mm. I said a word. And My so goodness, that's, that's self-control right there. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. No. Wow. <laughs> it was, it yeah. was so much, but it was so valuable in hindsight right. because I realized I was strong enough to do this. And my kids were there watching me mm. and they saw their mom handle it in the best way possible. You know, I got, I got us to a safe place and I made him accountable for his actions by reporting it and, and going through the process. So that's, you know, the first thing in a situation is to breathe. Okay. And then we already touched on so many of them about, you know, setting boundaries about Mm, making sure you are surrounded by people who build you up, not Mm -hmm. knock you down whether yes. it's your family, your friends, your coworkers. I mean, sometimes you can't get away from coworkers, but make sure you spend as little time with them as possible if they're people who bring you down. Right. Also, the biggest thing right now, social media. Oh, God. Yes. Follow people who, who are positive. positive. <laughs> yeah. Like, pay attention to the content that you are absorbing into your brain, whether it's the news, I don't even watch the news anymore. Mm. Uh, I haven't for years. So whether it's TV shows, news, social media, don't engage in things that bring you down Mm. because they do like consciously, you don't even understand. And this life coach that taught me the deeply and completely love myself. Mm. She also taught me, which a lot of us, I don't think are aware of, that 95% of what we do every day is subconscious. So we don't actually think about it. So whatever you're putting into your head stays in there. And that's the program you run on all day. So Mm. make sure you're putting good things in there. Right. And, and, you know, all of these little things, uh, I always say people tend to think we either have resilience or we don't, but it's all in there. And we Mm. all have the ability to be incredibly resilient we just have to channel those tools and, and use what we already have inside of us. 
So it's the setting the boundaries. It's realizing, as we said, we're all perfectly imperfect. Don't strive Mm. for perfection. Strive to be better than you were yesterday. Yeah. And and if you improve 1% every day, just think how (laughs) much improvement that is in a year. That's like 165% in a year. Yeah. So 1% of one little thing. Yeah. Whether it's within your business, within your personal life, within your relationship with your children, 1% on one thing a day is an incredible improvement in a year. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I always tell people is focus on what you want, not Mm. what somebody else tells you you should be, not what somebody else wants. What do you want? What do you want to be in your life? Who do you want to be in your life? Where do you want to be in your life? I lived for other people for so long. I put all of my dreams aside for other people's dreams. Mm. And we, at some point you have to go, wait, what am I doing? This is not right. What's my purpose. Yeah. And by me living my dreams now, I am empowering my kids to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. And they get, they get to see, Hey, wow. Mom's more than just my mom. You know, she does other things too. Mom is a heck and, of a lot more. She's a super woman. So. Uh, I, I'm not perfect. And I try. No, no. Even no. super woman in the, I don't know the whole comic, but no. I would imagine even she is not perfect. So exactly. Yeah. Um, and like I said, find the good. There's something good in every day, no matter how bad things are. Yeah. And the two most important things that I think really help us with our resilience, first of all, is feeling the feelings. So, mm. so often we bury those feelings. We pretend we're not upset. We pretend we're not mad. We, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause we want to be the tough girl or guy and uh, it's not helping you and it's not helping anyone around you. Because eventually you're going to explode. Yeah. And, you know, I, <laughs> important to feel the feelings and not get stuck there. Feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you don't get through a wall by standing behind it. You get through a wall <laughs> by going around it That's or right. opening the door. Yeah. And it's the same with your feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to feel them. You have to deal with them. Yes. And you have to move on. That's right. And it doesn't happen in five minutes. Sometimes, sometimes it does. You get better at it the more you do it. Um, but you have complete control over how you react to every situation. And that's what you have to think about. Right. Is, you know, what's my reaction going to be? And how is it going to help me? or whoever you care about who's in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to focus on that and feel those feelings, get mad, move on. Right. And when you let them out, they don't hang on. Yeah. The when you actually is, release when, them. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's very empowering to let that out, to talk about it, to ask for help, which we're getting better at, you know, the stigma of mental health seems yep. to be getting a little less and people are willing to talk about it more. And it's so important that we do that to acknowledge we're having difficult times and get the help that we need to get through those. For sure. And the biggest thing I like to say 
is the person you listen to more than anybody else on this planet. The words you hear more than any other words are the ones you say to yourself. Mm. So make sure that they are kind. Make sure that they are loving to yourself. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, we can all hear our own voices in our head all day long. And if you are telling yourself you're not good enough, if you're telling yourself you're ugly, if you're telling yourself you're too this or too that or whatever it is, that's what you are. That's you are what, what you're going to be. Yourself you yeah. are. And you just really have to make sure you're speaking kindly to yourself mm. and telling yourself there's no such thing as I can't. There's only I don't want to. I love that. No such thing as I can, only I don't want to. And learn to love yourself deeply and completely yes, and mean yes. it. <laughs> yes, and mean it. That is the thing. When you yeah. can look yourself in the eye and say those words to yourself and smile at the end of it, you have reached a whole new level. That's amazing. Amazing. I love it. I learned so much <laughs> from talking to you. So again, thank you so much. I'm sure you have helped so many of our listeners and we will put your website in the podcast description also so they can get in touch um, if they need to. So yes. And, and if I helped one person today, it is so worth my time because that's all I want to do is help. And I will say that I did publish a book Oh, um, with yes. with stories of other resilient women Love um, it. that have very different stories than mine. And it's called We Are Unbreakable. And oh, it's, I love that. It is available online um, and Amazon and chapters. And, and in the U.S., it's at Barnes & Noble and Target. Uh, so you can Wonderful. grab it online at any of those stores. And like it's 22 stories of that were written by the women. One of them's my story. And yeah. it's all about the year of 2020, which we may <laughs> remember was kind of a crazy year. That was so, a crazy year. Yeah. Um, it's our stories of 2020. And um, I think that there is at least one story in there that everybody can relate to. That's beautiful. And I love that it's a collection of 22 women's stories. That's amazing. Um, we will put a link to that also in the podcast awesome. description. And I can say without a doubt that you have helped definitely more than one person because there's one person right here and now everybody <laughs> who's listening. So awesome. thank you so much uh, for your time. It has really been, um, I think, life-changing for some people. So thank you. I hope so. 